change it Why they don't share this? Who else know this? I smell rodents I'ma shake the globe till they feel it Why the world make me feel misguided? I can't hide it I'ma shake the globe, change it Why they don't share this? Who else know this? I smell rodents I'ma shake the globe till they feel it What's up everybody? This is the Misguided Podcast We intend to guide you to a better future The purpose of this podcast is to do exactly that We will dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs and highlight what makes them successful but also pinpoint mistakes they've made and how to improve them our goal is to make you start thinking about building generational wealth through business i hope you enjoy and if you do please rate this podcast and leave a review and now let's get started What's up, everybody? My name is Jawan Rohan, and this is the Misguided Podcast. We intend to guide you to a better future. I'm sitting here with Steven Peterkins, uh, writer, uh, developer, and podcaster, the whole shabam. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm living. I'm living. Uh, super tired. I got, got home last night at like midnight, and then my son woke up in the middle of the night at like 3.30, so no sleep for me, uh, but that's why I had this coffee. So. <laughs> Nice. There you go. Yeah. You got a stimulant, artificial yeah, yeah. Uh, enhancements, performance yeah. enhancer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Got to get, got to get my day started. Um, the grind don't stop, but um, hey, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for coming up on here and thank you for reaching out. So to give the audience Absolutely. a little background, I'm always transparent as hell. Um, how we met uh, was on Reddit. Uh, so I'm trying to get into this Reddit <laughs> game <laughs> and I'm trying to really, uh, put the podcast out there and try some different things. Um, and so I joined a lot of different groups, um, got banned from a lot of different groups, like first day, <laughs> trying to do self-promotion, not knowing Reddit rules. Um, but some of them let me back in because I apologize. So um, that was cool. Um, and then, but the podcasting forum, they were like the most lenient. Like I straight up just self-promoted they didn't give a fuck. Everyone was like on it. So I was like, oh, I'm going to use this one from now on. So that, that's the form right there, podcasting. <laughs> Hell yeah. Shout out to the mods. You're doing, you're doing great work by not doing much work at all. Yeah, right. <laughs> so um, yeah, Steven uh, reached out to me uh, and told me a little bit about his background. And I was kind of interested. I was like, let's do it. And now we, we are here. So thank you. Um, let's go ahead and get into the story of where you are from. Yeah, so uh, born and raised here in Ottawa, Canada, the great white north up here. Mm. And uh, uh, for the last little bit since the pandemic, I've been uh, back here in Canada. But uh, before that, just a couple of years earlier, I was uh, living at a uh, Beijing for, for work and whatnot and kind of had a chance to travel around Asia and do the whole digital nomad lifestyle. You know, yeah. I was lucky enough to do that which was uh, a pretty great time uh, to be doing that. You know, it's just kind of crazy to think about traveling and getting to go to all these places now post-pandemic. I guess we're starting to slowly come out of that, but. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah. You, went to, you went to Beijing for uh, being a developer? Like you had some actual work out there or you just went? I had some actual, I had some, I had some actual work out there. So the way it went down is, you know, back in 2016, 2017, you had this big surge in Bitcoin. I don't know if you remember. Yep, yep. I started yep. paying attention. Like you know, it's been. It was like eight thousand or some shit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It was like, uh, oh God, I'm getting crucified on the numbers here. I, I remember it was like um, leading up to December in like October, November. It was, uh, I think it was like $3,000, $4,000 and then it had five apps. And then uh-huh. people were like, whoa, like what's going on here? Uh-huh. Uh, and it already had a couple of runs beforehand. Like I think 2013, I had a big run. Um, and then I remember it started like peaking 2017. It hit like $20,000. So like people are going, people are going nuts here. Yeah. And uh, during that time, I started paying like a, uh, more attention to Bitcoin Ethereum. I started going to like meetups. I was still in university at the time, uh, Queens University. And uh, I started going to these events and whatnot and started meeting people. He started kind of talking about a lot of these concepts here. So uh, there was uh, one dude, my friend, uh, Andrew McCall, he had worked in Hong Kong the, uh, the year before. So he worked for an exchange called OKX uh, in Hong Kong with this guy named uh, Jack Leo. 
And so he, he had a couple of connections of people who were doing crypto shit in Asia. And that summer, that was, a, that was the year that I was graduating here. That summer, he was recruiting people to like come and try to like work for some of these companies, like a couple of projects out there that were looking for people. And because I had some development experience, uh, like I had uh, during my time, I like interned for Shopify and, and whatnot. So like I had, I had, I had some decent, I had some Big, decent experience. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah I done, I done a little bit here, you know, yeah. school's not a complete waste of time here, you know, yeah. and, uh, um, you know, he, I, I got in touch with Jack here and he's like, Oh, I got like three projects for you. Okay. The first one I remember is called like sleep with three E's. And the idea was like, it was like, uh, like an Airbnb microservice. I don't know if that makes any sense, but like, basically you could pay for like hours of time at like hotels, basically through stuff like Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever. Um, so like another peer project. space, do you know what peer space is? No, nah, I don't know what peer space is. Look it I up. guess it's, it's kind of similar. Yeah, you can pay for like hours of time. It's not like an overnight thing. I mean, it could be, but you could pay like a block of an hour, right? For uh, if you yeah, wanted yeah. to do like a film shoot. Yeah, similar similar things. Like people are big on like microtransactions and especially in the Bitcoin space. Like, you know, every every little thing is like going to cost a little bit of money. So there's that, there's that project. I was like, oh, okay, you know, kind of interesting. And then there was uh, uh, some sort of like nonprofit project that he was like super non-specific about and it was around education i was like no, 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 no. i'm in it for the money here come on i'm in crypto for the money come on yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh personal joke personally not and uh and then the, and then the third one uh was a project called sato um and sato was super cool because at the big time there was like a huge and, and to, to an extent like there still is sort of this ongoing conversation about like bitcoin and blockchain scalability mm-hmm. like how do you get applications running on these networks when like they can only handle so many transactions when they can only hold so much data so like it was kind of a bigger deal at that time because ethereum was just starting to get like a lot of usage uh with projects like crypto kitties and whatnot and because everyone's on the same chain as soon as one app starts blowing up everybody else starts feeling the repercussions to it everybody else's costs go up like people got to be competing to put stuff on chain because like it just gets super expensive so people were looking for ways to like uh, fix the scalability issue. So Sato came in and they're like, okay, the, the issue isn't, uh, it's not a technical issue, right? It, it's, it's actually an economic one. If you find ways for people to pay for the data and if you find ways for the, the market to come in and make these corrections, you can actually achieve the scalability um, through like paying for moving data around the network through networking. And I was like, oh, that's like a really interesting concept. Like, uh, because being a developer and like knowing how the internet works, like networking is super important. Like yeah. it, it's, it's the basis of how everything operates. Like all these services, it's the basis of how we're communicating right yeah. at this very moment. Right. It's all, it's all, it's all foundational. So it's like, Oh, okay. This is the project I want to go for. You know, if I'm going to move to a different country and like, you know, we're, put we're my heart and soul sure. into something, yeah. I'm going to swing for the, the fucking fences here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it's like, okay, yeah, let's do that. Um, he got me in touch with the, the founders, David Lancashire and Richard Paris, uh, chatted with them for maybe a couple of weeks, did a little bit of work, uh, Canada side for a couple of weeks or so. And then they're like, you're good to go. We're going to, we want, we want you in Beijing here. And then I shipped out, I think middle of May, 2018, I want to say. And, uh, I was in, I was living in Beijing. It was kind of crazy. Big Bitcoin was getting big at that time. How long were you in Beijing? So I was in Beijing for uh, almost uh, almost two years at the point because I would have ended up coming back right at the beginning of the pandemic, twenty twenty here. Oh shit! So I was in. Yeah. Okay. How how, how old were yeah. you when you were out there? And how old are you now? So I'm twenty five now. Okay. Um, I shipped out. I would have been twenty two at the time. And it was like my first, like first fresh out of college. Know, I'd done a little bit. Of, yeah. I would have done some internship shit beforehand, but like, this is my like first job. Sorry. It, uh, the camera always does that like every freaking 30 minutes. Um, that's, <laughs> that's cool, man. Um, wow. So like, okay, you get to Beijing, you're working for this, this company. Um, and how, how, how's it going? Like, 
you're you're building this software. Okay. You're like a software developer, I'm gonna, right? I'm gonna throw sh- I'm gonna throw some shade at the founder share real quick because okay. my first day in Beijing, these motherfuckers. <laughs> oh my god, we're all we're all nerds here. Let, yeah. Let's just get that out of the way. We're all nerds. These motherfuckers are like, okay, hey, you know, welcome to Beijing. You just took like a 13, 14 hour flight. You just moved your entire life over here. Get to, to work. Beijing for this project. <laughs> That's cool. No, it's even worse than that. That's cool, but. We kind of had this board game planned with a bunch of our friends the first day that you're in Beijing. So like, and it's 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 like it's it's one of those like intense board games where you like you got to commit like 10, 12 hours, sometimes 14 hours to like go through one of these games. It takes the whole day, and they're like we planned it like weeks in advance, and like we can't cancel on these people because it takes six people to play. And they're like, yeah, you're just gonna you're just gonna be in Beijing by yourself day one. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> just, just walk around. They didn't even invite you to the game. You couldn't even no, go to the game. No. Oh, no, 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 no. They're like, oh, it's full. You know, we hate to do this to you, but like, oh, just have fun. Just yeah. walk around, see what happens. Bro, and like to live in China, okay, to like to, to do the bare necessities, you you need like basically you need like a WeChat account. You you need like a financial account um either through like wechat or alipay at least when i was there uh i don't know how the digital you want's changing that now but it's, it's basically the same idea it's like you need you need like an online digital account to like pay for food uh, you know use transportation they don't take cash or see. coins like they do but it's like pretty much only tourists only uh, tourists especially white tourists yeah. who like use cash or coins here yeah. everything else is like um everything else is digital everything else is like we chat shit. So like, I'm just wandering around the city trying to find people who are going to take the money. Like they're super, I don't speak the language. Yeah. I'm just like trying to make my way through it. I'm using like hand signals and pointing that shit, trying to, trying to make do here. Uh, so I was really thrown into the, into the thing of it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's crazy. There. And you're 22 years old. You're probably like, what the fuck? 22. Like, I was like, geez. what do I do? I was like in the shower. I was like, what do I do with my life? Yeah. Like, how did i have up here man like yeah yeah, yeah cool. it, it, it was good though so has beijing been the only place uh you've been out of the country or have you traveled a lot you travel um like before that i had a chance i had a chance to like go to go to belize like oh, um okay i was just kind of an entirely different thread so like my family's like pretty religious i grew up pretty religious so like they did uh did, did some like mission stuff okay so i like had a chance to go to belize um my uh dad he grew up in zimbabwe uh in africa what the fuck and then he moved to and then he moved to canada i would have never never guessed that (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. well zimbabwe is like super close to south africa so like my dad's white like it's it's yeah yeah I'm not, I'm, I'm like, if you can see the video here i'm obviously not (laughs) but like uh, no you look you look actually very south african very oh interesting yeah i get a i get I get Finnish quite a bit or like Scandinavian quite a bit. Too. Yeah. 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 That's, 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 yeah. I can see that. I can yeah. see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, so, yeah. So he, he grew up in Zimbabwe. He moved up um, when he was 12. Cause like, eh, you know, there's like civil war, there was some strife and whatnot. I just didn't think it was a good place to be. Um, and uh, so we had a chance to go to Zambia. We have some family friends there. Okay. In Zambia. We had a chance to go to Zimbabwe. So I kind of been in Africa. Um, and then uh yeah and then I had a chance to go to Beijing and then once I was in Beijing um you know like I, I originally came um let's say not on an official work visa so I was on a tourist visa when I first showed up to Beijing which means that um just pretty common for most expats actually like it's, it's definitely less common now but um, which meant that basically every 60 days I had to leave the country and then basically come back. Could you so, go to like another country or you had to go all the way back to the USA? So at that time yeah. I could go to Hong Kong, not sure about nowadays, uh, but back in, back in the day, I could go to like Hong Kong. Uh, I could go to Korea. Like one time I went to Vietnam to like meet a friend. We did like motorcycling around Vietnam. <laughs> Uh, actually that was actually so funny because we might touch on this eventually that that was uh, i did a vietnam trip with my future co-founder ryan purdy um with his dad and uh yeah probably that trip is one of the big reasons why we ended up doing a startup together too which is kind of crazy to think about but like yeah like that that was an awesome trip 
um, did Singapore while I was there. And then kind of by the end of it, I was mostly in, in Thailand when, because coronavirus, you know, Wuhan, Centerpoint, shit was happening there before really before impacted we the states of North America. Yeah. Just like March, right? Mm-hmm. I was hearing about coronavirus like December, you know, mm-hmm. like that shit was on people's radar in yeah. China. People knew something was up. There was like no official accounts or anything, but like people were warning each other in the WeChat group. It's like, oh, you know, something's going around. Is WeChat, example. is WeChat the app that has everything? Like it has like, you yeah, can pay it's a super for app. Okay. Okay. Super app. Can you yeah, like yeah, yeah. order food from it? Yes. 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 Yeah. So why the uh, fuck? How come we don't have that? They have. It's literally one app for everything. Why? How come Americans? They don't they, have they leapfrog technology. So like for us here, uh, we've developed things like incrementally. And when you develop something incrementally, because like people don't like to evolve, we have like a huge portion of people who like just like to use shit on computers or like just like to call Uh, you you eventually learn how to do things and then you don't want to migrate from it china because it 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 digitally transformed so quickly people immediately went to the mobile phone like you're more likely to have a phone than you are to have an actual computer so like they they they're like a truly mobile first digital society but with the fact that like if you you have to do things with the phone first and then you do the other shit separate or, or it's almost secondary because your primary market is going to want to use WeChat. They're going to want to use these super apps. You know, they, they know how to use it. Yeah. Um, it's what they were first introduced to. And so it, it's are a they just different cultural. Are they just technology way more advanced than us and we'll never catch up? Like, oh, uh, it's it's. Or is it just a different, we have, we have the technology here. It's it's not like they have technology there that isn't um, necessarily in America. I I would actually say America is still more technologically advanced in a lot of different ways. And then China just takes the good things and uses it for themselves. Like they, they, they pick and choose kind of a lot of uh, what's coming out of America. But like the, the big difference is again, it's like people's first introduction to like, ordering off of um, uh, Jindong JD, which is their version of Amazon, was through the phone. It's not like they did it on their laptop. On the website, yeah. Yeah, they didn't learn through that. They learned how to do it through WeChat. They learned how to do it through these apps first. So that's like their entry point to it, which is why more people are familiar with it and more comfortable to do it. We're like, us, it's like we did the computers first and then we moved to mobile. We get such a large percentage of people who still use computer stuff. Like it's taking, it's, it took like only recent, like last couple of years has that like mobile inflection point happened where like 50 to 51% of people are doing things primarily through the phone and then the computer. And even then it's still only probably like 60%. I don't know the exact number in China, but like it's way higher, way, way, way higher in, in China for sure. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. So what, um, so traveling, you, you've obviously listed a bunch of places. What were some of the most things that you learned in these places? Because I, I believe traveling is the best education. So let's talk about education and what you learned through your experiences in different cultures and countries. Oh, that's sort of an interesting, sort of an interesting question because one of the, the disadvantages of going there to mostly work is that I was interfacing, like I wasn't spending a lot of time um, on vacation or like, yeah. or like traveling or like doing these specific things. It was like, I was like working most of the time. Okay. Okay. Then let me, so, let me rephrase so the question. How was the workforce there compared to American work environment? Yeah. That's a so I, I'm, I'm, I'm more on, so uh, you know, take what I say with a grain of salt because I'm on the outside. I'm not in these Chinese corporations. I'm not mm-hmm. in the, the work environment. I I'm just you. like, I'm gleaming these things through some sort of osmosis, basically. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. just kind of being around and hearing things. Um, and I can speak more on the technology sector because that's that's what I'm more familiar with here. But their grind is intense, for <laughs> sure. There's a very popular... Um, sort of phrase to describe it and that's called 996 which is working from nine to nine 12 hours a day six days a week and like a lot of these chinese tech companies have a huge push for 996 and the sort of work ethic 
in, in China, I think it exists in, in uh, a lot of other, especially Eastern Asian nations. Um, it is very, is very, very intense. I don't necessarily know if that's the optimal way to work, but it does get shit done um, at the expense of human capital. Mm, and fucking human men, men, <laughs> mental health, like fuck, yeah, like nine to absolutely. Nine, like... It is, it is having repercussions uh, for the culture. Like, like a lot of the workers, they literally just don't have enough time for themselves. Yeah, especially young families or like young couples. It's really hard for them to start families. And because... that's, I was just about to say, and that's why, like in Asia you know, the dad is the worker and the wife is at home cooking, taking care of the kids because the dad's probably never home with the kid, like with that. Yeah. Work so so in, in, in China, I mean, there's, there's a couple of different uh, cultural things here. So like in, in China, it's pretty common to have like what's called an IE, which is basically like, like auntie, but it, but it's basically like a, like a, a servant to have around the, the house to kind of clean up for stuff, especially as, a lot of women, like like in the same way that we've had women over the past few decades move into the workforce and you start having two working parents, that's a similar phenomenon to what's happening in, yeah. in China as well, too, oh, okay. right? Where you have two, you have two working parents in the workforce, right? Because it, ju- it just sort of increases your pool of human capital that you have at your expense of your society, right? So like, it makes sense that you want to push for that. Um, so you either have like eyes there who kind of are there to take care of the kids and, and you know, sort of facilitate that or like, I guess more culturally relevant, like your, your uh, parents are still living with you. So like, um, I know that one of the, one of the people I was working with, um, they live with uh, the wife's parents are in the house. So like they both work, they both work very hard and it, it's the, the grandparents who are there to take care of the two kids. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Cool. All right. That's crazy, man. Yeah, it's crazy how different cultures like stand by different, uh, like different ways of doing things. And it's always super interesting to learn. Like I've been saying, I want to go to Thailand for years. Um, and I think that's going to be like one of the first trips, uh, me and my fiance go to, uh, when we can it's like Thailand, but anyways, yeah, we, uh, let's, let's move on. Uh, cause there's a bunch of stuff I want to, t- uh, touch on. Let's quickly touch on this Bitcoin era. Um, and then yeah. we're going to move into the hella misguided segment, but I want to hear about your Bitcoin journey just a little bit because we started about it and, and briefly touched on it. How, like you were in it early. Okay. Were you investing in it? Did you make (laughs) money? Yeah. Right. Did you make money on it? Like big chunks? Like, can you go into a little bit more detail if you may? Yeah. So, uh, I wouldn't necessarily, I've made big money off of it because like people, some people have made crazy money here. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's often unfortunate. (laughs) I I think what's often, um, sort of unfortunate is that the, the idea of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency generally appeals to people a little bit more on the outside who aren't embedded in, in these institutions who kind of have less invested in the status quo. Um, but because they're more on the outskirts, they also tend to have less money because the, uh, the institutions at the time, or, or if you're embedded in the system, you probably have a decent amount of capital, um, which you could use to deploy into something like cryptocurrency or whatnot. Uh, but for a, a lot of people in the, in those days, and if you go even earlier, like 2010, 2013, you had to be kind of like a very special person to have like enough capital to like put into this and make like a significant amount of money, but also be enough of an outsider where you had access to those resources in the first place here. So like, I know quite a few people who like got into it early, but aren't necessarily like, you know, like billionaires or anything because they only had so much money to begin with, right? They were an outsider. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in, that, in that context, I was just a student um so i really didn't have any money yeah yeah you <laughs> to, like, just really stick into it yeah <laughs> first bull run that i was a part of which is the 2017 bull run kind of leading up to that 21k uh, uh price point here i got in somewhere around like four or five k whatever okay. i had like a couple hundred dollars that i had access to like spare money yeah. Either i would have gone to like you know deliveries or like eating or booze or whatever and i put it in that and it went up enough where, you know, I could buy like Christmas presents for my family free that year. You know? Yeah, yeah. Sold, sold off. I remember I, it was like 
the uh, December 24th, and it was like just starting to come down. And that's when I realized that Coinbase in Canada doesn't let you sell your crypto. So it was a mad scramble trying to find oh. a way. They let you buy crypto. At that point, they let you buy crypto, yeah. but they didn't let you sell it. So like it was a mad scramble trying to like hit up all these different exchanges. Um, trying to get trying approved. To like... trying, trying to sell it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then, so then recently, like, okay, so then I'm, I'm in it in 2018. I'm getting part of my salary in, in Bitcoin here. I'm like setting that aside. I'm, I'm saving in Bitcoin. I'm putting it into like an index fund. And then I'm like, just kind of spending the rest of it. Um, I'm also like uh, living off that Bitcoin too. So Bitcoin was, was super helpful for me uh, living in China because it is really hard to move money out of China and into like a Western bank account. Like they do not make it simple to like do that transfer. So what I would do is the money that uh, I had on my WeChat account and my Chinese account I would buy Bitcoin and then I would just sell that in Canada if I ever wanted to like transfer money because that was like way, 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 way simpler to be able to buy and sell Bitcoin. Wait, and okay. Sell that in different markets. And- I have some, but aren't you, are you mad that you were using Bitcoin money when you were out there now? Because if you would have kept that in there back then, you'd have a lot more now. I, su- I suppose. I mean, the big thing that I'm more mad at is putting money in the index fund in the first place. I wish I just bought more Bitcoin, <laughs> yeah. you know, because it's like, it was, it was, uh, it was like an ETF. It was off. Of, so in Canada, we have a, a, a company called Wellsimple. Okay. So I just use Wellsimple and I just deposited something <laughs> in their like, in their index fund. And they like ask you like three different questions. They're like, oh, do you want to be conservative? Do you want to be medium? And you want yeah. to be aggressive? And I'm like, I'm young. I'm going to be aggressive, bitch. Yeah. And then like put it all in the aggressiveness. But I didn't do shit. And you know, 1%, like, percent, 1% a like, year. But dude, you can't be mad yeah, at that. Exactly. You, you can't be mad at that because it is good to diversify. Like you need that. Like if you would have put yeah, all yeah. your money in Bitcoin and then it went, it went the opposite way, you would have been hella mad at yourself. So like- You sound, you sound, you sound like my dad right now. Yeah. My dad keeps telling me I still got to diversify here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a hindsight thing, right? Like it's a big play or whatever, but like I had, I had enough money in Bitcoin. So like when it did this next bull run, peaked at like 60K, basically um, the money that I'd been living on for a year to do the startup. So basically I wiped out my index fund to pay off my student loans and then live off of doing a startup for a year. Basically what I, what, what was good is that Bitcoin kind of replenished all that money, when it hit 60 K. Um, I didn't sell it. So I like immediately lost. You got back to, to <laughs> zero. You got back to zero, back to right? Like, is that what you mean? You, yeah, you cleared your debt. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. 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 Plus like a little bit extra here. Like you don't want to, say too too much of how much is going on here but like basically yeah and like i'm still very uh bullish on bitcoin um just because uh i i buy into like what people say about it in comparison to gold like i think it just does what gold does but better absolutely so like so i'm i'm big on the whole uh uh me me and my my girl kathy woods our capital (laughs) you know we're big on the whole uh gold flipping and shit you know I, uh, you know, we'll see if it hits the number in her head. She, she thinks it's going to go to 500,000 for Bitcoin. I, I'm curious to see if that, that's a lot. I think it'll go to like 250, 300. When do you think it'll I don't hit? think it's go ahead. You don't think oh, it's going to hit 150? So, I, I, I don't, I, I don't do, I don't do the chain analytics. I don't do like the deep dives. I know very little about when it comes to finance. So like a lot of this is just gut stuff. So this is not financial advice. You know, yeah, yeah. No, they, they know that before. Too. Yeah, this is, okay, this is just God. talking. Thank God. What, do you I think it's going to hit 150? <laughs> I think it will hit 150. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, I, I don't see it. I don't see what's going to cause it to stop. I guess this yeah. is the big thing. Like, I don't, I, we, we keep seeing this like super cycle uh, every couple of years or so, right? Like sort of this breathe in, breathe out. Um, and uh, I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of curious, like how low it's going to go here. So we saw it dip below. It's just kind of 29. The, the podcast a little bit here. So, so I hit 29. It's, it's back. I checked this morning. It's at 31. So um, I, uh, you know, rich dad, poor dad. I forget the dude's name. Yeah. Robert Kiyosaki. Robert Kiyosaki. He, he thinks it's going to go to 24K. And I, and I think that's maybe a little bit bearish, but I could see it kind of. I see 26. I could see it slide to like 25, 26 yeah. before all of this is over here. I, but you know, like I'm thinking like five, 10 year play, like I'm, I'm thinking long-term with this. The, the one thing that my dad 
uh, who knows a little bit of something that stocks here, uh, instilled to me is like, you know, you're very rarely ever going to beat the market. I don't day trade. I don't like ever try to do any like sophisticated moves or whatever, because that's just not my wheelhouse. You know, I just don't know enough about that shit. It's stressful, man. It's oh my super God, stressful. stressful. And it takes a long time to learn. And I just don't have that time. And I always preach you're better. And right. even the people who do day trade and do all this quick flipping, Forex, whatever, they will tell you straight up the best strategy is well, dollar cost averaging and long-term investing. Like those are the yeah. wealthy people. It's cool to make a flip flip bag but what happens when you make that flip you should invest it into long something long term and it's always good to invest what you know invest in what you're buying if you're fucking using amazon every day why aren't you investing in it if you're wearing nike every day invest in it make the money on the back end right um so those are kind of things we preach on here on the podcast so i'm with your dad man mentally i'm with him (laughs) (laughs) well you want to think about having a long time horizon right and i think like i I did a podcast episode on this myself um you know like having a a long time horizon not only financially but like when you think about yourself physically or you think about like developing yourself right like uh you you don't want to think about like oh okay what's this next few months going to look like you're thinking okay if if what i'm doing now is this going to have investments is this going to have return five 10 15 20 years down the line and like what's that gonna look like right so like i think it's good for money i think it's tremendous for relationships too like the people that i hang out with like i'm like okay are we gonna be friends are we are we still gonna be talking in 20 years yeah yeah. and like am i wasting my time (laughs) absolutely yeah Yeah, for sure like uh also kind of the the podcast too you know like uh continue to build that or just continuing to like put content out and continue to write like these are all investments that i uh, expect to have dividends uh return to me uh over this like long time span basically yeah and it doesn't even have to be like uh money you know because like i've made some like mm-hmm. cool friendships uh just just interviewing people and like knowing like okay like i know that they have a goal of this. So like once, you know, I get to where I want to be, maybe we can reconnect on, on a business adventure or, you know, something like, you know, yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah. that I, I think that's what I've gained most by doing this and also learning, but yeah, anyways, we got to, we are far behind time. Uh, I want to get to the hella misguided segment um, where I ask the same question to every person who comes up on here. And the question is, yeah. if you were to write a letter, to your 18 year old self, what would be a summary of that letter? I think it has some bullet points. I, I don't know if I would have like a, a, an overarching thesis here. Okay. Uh, first thing I tell my 18 year old self is stop smoking so much weed. It was cool for a while dog, but like yeah. seriously, like go and yeah. talk to people. Like yeah. get out of your room. <laughs> You know, you listen to Bob Deep's The Infamous for the eighth time, and it's still blowing <laughs> mind. Like, it only has so many. Yeah, it has diminishing returns. You know, uh, nah, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna fucking. That's gonna be on Instagram right there. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that. That only, that only does so much for me. And and I think like everything is sort of downstream from that, right? So like I think the big uh, A team, you're going into to uni, and I think like uh, th- there's a lot of questions about what is the value of university nowadays. And I and I and I really believe. Um, it's caught in this weird place between being professional education where it's training you for the work workforce and being a civilized education where it's like uh, traditionally preparing you for like life, you know, like yeah. exploring these greater concepts, nourishing the soul and like getting you to question who you are and like what you're doing. And, and what's weird is that what, what's weird about it now is that it's caught in the middle. It doesn't really quite perf- like prepare you for professional life. It doesn't really give you that sort of foundation for like exploring things deeper. It can, but like it's failing to do so more and more. So what it's really there for is networking. Like it's really there to like build out your alumni network, like get in with the right people, make the right connections. And then you have this like credential that's going to make you relatable to other people. Like you can, you can go on a LinkedIn, you can go to these platforms and you can, you can really bank on that, you know, like check out what companies you want to work for, see who's from your university, who's working on there and Absolutely. like ask for introductions, Absolutely. ask to like go for yeah. coffees, 
like like make relationships with people you know like start building up that network stop already. smoking weed um, just go talk stop smoking weed. <laughs> bro there's more to life than 90s hip-hop like, yeah come on. yeah man no that's uh that's absolutely. absolutely right i believe literally that is the purpose of college like the main and best educational tool that i've learned and, and a lot of people that i've interviewed uh have learned is just networking um absolutely because a lot of people go to college and don't even study or work in what they studied in college. So like whatever they do is their nine to five has nothing to do with what they studied, but you know, they are still with the people that they were in college with. They're still networking with people. They probably even got the job because of some connection. So it's just like, use your connections, right? Um, Try and preach that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. I got a background in and, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. But I was going to say, I got a background in engineering physics. Like the people in my uh, degree, like, are like doctors and they're doing particle physics and shit, or like they're working on, you know, some, some crazy pieces of machinery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, I'm over here, like, creating fake internet money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, but, see, you know, we'll see who's yeah, laughing in a couple of years, though. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, cool, cool. What um, I want to talk about this. Um, the startup, this failed startup that you went through. Uh, if you could kind of break yeah, sure. down that for me, what was it? When did you start it? And why did it fail? Oh, okay, well, let's see. So uh, the startup that me and my uh, co-founder at the time, Ryan Purdy, great guy, uh, started was called Stories. And it was a uh, HR analytics tool. Uh, I think we eventually ended up calling it something like uh, culture analytics, you know, we were trying to craft our own buzzword there, but basically it's like what it came down to was like glorified surveys, mm. uh, getting people to like respond to employee surveys and then creating a, a nice dashboard of uh, results um, on these surveys and trying to go deeper on some of these analytics in a way that we thought that our competitors weren't quite doing and that there was demand for. Excuse me. And um, so initially why it was being pursued is because Ryan had put in like a lot of time talking with a lot of HR professionals, people ops people, people analytics people. And he had noticed that there was sort of a demand uh, for this type of product, something that would go deeper than what was being offered through like a, like a, a culture amp or um, oh, I'm blanking on the other name that people use a lot, but like a lot of these survey tools, like a survey monkey or whatever, like mm-hmm. they weren't, they, they were able to kind of get this information, but they weren't able to like connect the dots on it quite okay. in a way that they had hoped for. And a lot of this um, uh, processes and way of analyzing data was being pioneered at places like Google and Microsoft and like these big companies that could like invest data scientists and analysts with these HR professionals to like like, optimize team experiences, optimize like employee experience within the company. But as a small company, you weren't able to like uh, do this yourself. Right. So uh, there, there were sort of processes or sort of things that you could measure that were reproducible without having to like pay for an expert to do that. So we kind of jumped head first into the space as, to tech bros who had never worked HR yeah. on their lives here to, <laughs> to try to go into this here. And, um, you know, we, we had gotten good feedback from people, but there was like a couple of things about it that made it really difficult. And the first one was the margins on what we were offering and the commoditization of it. So a lot of how these places functioned is you would pay per person who was using it at the company here. So like it would be like $6 per employee or $7 or $8 or whatever. Um, and it was kind of a race to the bottom. Like all, all of these places like were competing with each other on price and the big companies could obviously offer scale Um that we couldn't at the time and that margins that we weren't really able to afford. Yeah. And there were so many people, like it's so easy from a developer standpoint to just like create a survey app, you know, create something that's going to send a survey out to people, record the data. But doing the logistics is super hard. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, even like if you wanted to do something like machine learning on it, then you're talking about like, okay, well now you need data sets and like you need like a certain amount of data 
uh, which again, big companies do great with because they have this data. Um, you need a certain amount of data to kind of be able to do that level of sophistication. As a small company, it's kind of difficult. Yep. Um, so it, it was heavily commoditized. The price is dropping on the margins. And like in order to even just get into the running, like these companies have been running for years and years at this point. So they not only had like uh, what's called like engagement, which is more the service side. They also had things that linked to like performance. So they could evaluate the performance of the employees and sort of add this additional layer on well, we were just trying to play the, the catch-up game on engagement. And, you know, engagement had become commoditized, right? Like it, it, it had become the thing that you had just grown so accustomed to. You didn't really even care about that that much. There were, and as a foundation, all of these other things were kind of being built on top of it here. So it was really hard to get people to give a shit about what we were doing with engagement because like people didn't really like care or like if they did, they thought it was interesting and like, they weren't really able to shell like they weren't willing to show um, give extra money basically to be able to to support some of these features here so it, it was it was a tough industry highly commoditized very competitive and we needed to create like a bunch of features like we rewrote the thing like three times um we kept needing to add more and more features to just get parity with these different companies here it sounds and like you then, needed a big, a bigger team. Like you needed other people with the knowledge in this industry. Yeah. Like all you knew yeah, was absolutely. the tech stuff. You needed the HR. You needed the strategic planning people. You needed the finance, the account. You know what I mean? You needed all these yeah. different outsources. For sure. I, I also think, you know, and I'm going to take responsibility for this. Like I, I was the one who killed it. Like mm. I was the one ultimately who pulled the ripcord on this and realized like, uh, I, I had a realization one day that I was actually more scared of it succeeding than I was of it, of it failing. And that was like a big, Shit. Uh, that was like a big realization for me. I'm like, okay, why am I so afraid of this succeeding? And the reason for that was I, I was so scared of having this succeed and being trapped in working on this for like five or 10 years, basically. Because at the end of the day, it wasn't a problem to me that I was fascinated enough with to commit that much of my life to. And I think ultimately that's where I went wrong personally was I was so committed to building something, right? I was so committed to having a startup, getting the CTO title, uh, being able to take ownership of a stack and be able to like apply what I had learned at that point and then see what I could do that I wasn't invested enough in actually solving the problem. And I didn't care enough about actually trying to solve that particular problem. And the big difference between like any of these, uh, uh, these billionaires nowadays, like if you talk to Zuckerberg, like he didn't want to create Facebook just because he wanted a billion dollars. Like he, he was invested in solving the problem. He was invested in this grander notion behind Facebook, which was a connected world and a connected community digitally right yeah like he wanted to be the one to do that you talk to jeff bezos like jeff bezos like I, I nobody goes in and is like oh i want this amount of money and then i'm gonna be set right because then you hit that amount of money and then your motivation goes there has to be something greater if you're gonna start a company there has to be a problem that you care about greater to like sacrifice your life and your time and you know sanity to a certain extent to actually be able to go and create that and i didn't take that seriously and when the bill kind of came for that a year, a year and a half in, I just wanted to, I just wanted to cash out. Like I just, I so said, did you, nah, I don't do you have think you self-sabotage this? I think realization? I, what I think uh, I did well is I avoided self-sabotage by recognizing it early and then being honest yeah. with my, uh, my co-founder. Okay. So I think I would have self-sabotaged if had I continued to keep going. And had I felt guilty about pulling the plug. But I think what I did do well there is once I realized it, I realized it wasn't fair to Ryan to keep this going without me being 100% in it. Because up till then, I was. You that's know, strong, like I was, man. I was committed. Yeah, that's strong. That, that takes a lot it's, of pride, a lot of courage to do it's, that. It's a hard conversation to have. But like, uh, there's a great book um, on this very topic. It's called Crucial Conversations. And basically, like a lot of what... Uh, builds character and makes you like a person with integrity is when you have to have a conversation with somebody, you don't run from it. Like you, you just got to rip the bandaid off and you got to do it. Who's it by? So I don't remember. Ah, oh, shit. Come on, man. Come on, Steven. 
I know the name. Yeah, that's good enough. They're getting free promos. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. All right, uh, <laughs> let's move on. What failures are you most proud of? Would you say that that startup is the is the biggest? Oh, for one? sure. Yeah, that's a huge failure that I'm proud of. Um, let me think a little bit more about that here too. Um, maybe a little bit, uh, not as as great or whatnot. But uh, I remember being probably 10 or 11 and I was big into judo at the time. And uh, we had a tournament coming up and I was, I was nervous about that tournament for like, I swear to God, like a month and a half, like, <laughs> like genuine, like anxiety, like having trouble falling asleep. Like at a pretty young age, I'm kind of surprised that I was just anxious about it. Very, very nervous. Um, but I went to the tournament. I remember the first match that I ever had in an official tournament setting. So what's great about judo is that you can get what's called an epoll, and you can immediately win the match if you do like a move so good. It just like does. It's, it's kind of like uh, like a TKO, like a KO, without, yeah. causing, without causing brain damage to your opponent. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I I remember the uh, like probably the most basic throw, just like a leg sweep he pulled the guy and then i was like oh yeah i can do this and then i ended up getting wrecked the rest of the tournament there that was like my one shining moment but uh i placed like i think it was a category of like five or six people i think i either got like fourth or third or whatever but it was you're like realizing as as I'm that less. Like, i could show up to this you know and like it's gonna be better than i think so i wouldn't necessarily call it a success but i, I would call it a triumph just by like overcoming anxiety something i was very anxious about and and still powering through it yep nah that makes sense well that's crazy man uh yeah i know a lot of people actually who did judo um and it's such a disciplined sport like you know so. i want to now that we're coming out of the pandemic actually and i've been trying to get more fit uh due to the routine of the pandemic i i do want to get back into brazilian jiu-jitsu mm. um because the the people who are really good at that sport are kind of built like me i'm built like a like a uh, a rectangle you know so if you're like a muscular if you're a if you're a muscular rectangle that's like the perfect build yeah. for uh bjj here so yeah. so I'm, i got my eye on it again you know it's return a, to form here get back in that <laughs> well cool Hell cool yeah. man well the way i like to uh wrap up the episode and i appreciate you coming up here uh is with a se segment called guided conclusions where i ask a okay. question um, that we haven't talked about beforehand it could be serious funny whatever we could go deep political no i hate politics we're not doing that but uh <laughs> the question for you is what business would you start today and why Ooh, uh, i'd start a no-code business so like uh uh just to give some background here no code or low code are basically like online tools that allow people who don't know how to program to build apps and I'm incredibly bullish about them because why as haven't you started that yet? You should, you should have already been working on it. What are you doing? Why are you on this podcast don't, right now? Don't, don't <laughs> leak my plans. <laughs> don't leak my plans. Jesus moving silence like lasagna here. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, anyway, so like uh, as a developer, I can tell you firsthand, it's too difficult to code. It's too difficult to like make apps and to like write software. So uh, the emphasis shouldn't be on like getting more people to program. It's about making programming easier for the next billion people to like make software. So I would be super, super invested, no code, low code as like a uh, next, next, next company here. And Think you gave it. away Think the name. It. That's a dope name. You shouldn't have gave away the name. If I could mic drop this right now, I'd drop this mic, yeah. but I'm not doing that. <laughs> Good uh, mic. Yeah. Um man, that's amazing, dude. Yeah. Um you should you should you should get on that, I'd say. I I'll wait to release this the end part, okay? Until you're you're done. Appreciate it, my man. Appreciate yeah. <laughs> nah, uh, <laughs> hey Steven, thank you for coming up here, man. It's been a great conversation. Actually, we went way over time, which is good news. So um oh, I yeah. appreciate I appreciate that. Um go ahead Thanks and for let, having me, man. Yeah, yeah, go ahead and let everyone know where they can reach you if you want to be contacted or just you know followed, whatever. 
I'm big on Twitter, but I'm not big on Twitter. Um, I'm at <laughs> S Peterkins. If uh, you want to find me there, yeah, and, uh, listen to the Peterkins podcast. I release it uh, five days a week. You know, it's kind of a personal uh, journal of mine. Just kind of share these uh, notes and stories and ideas off the top of my head here. Love doing it. Love to have you listen to it. Yeah. Oh, I love the man bun. I just followed you. Oh, oh nice. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, that's crazy, man. Uh, cool. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you again. Um, and I'm thank sure, you, I'm sure we'll talk. Uh, you heard it here. This is the misguided podcast. We intend to guide you to a better future. My name is Jawan. Again, I'm sitting here with Steven Perkins, uh, writer, podcaster, and a dope ass developer. Now you should make that a t-shirt. <laughs> dope ass developer. Yeah. Uh, it all started on January 9th. We heard the news, deadly virus, wait, is this true? They never seen us before, but now it's woo. I mean, who would have guessed precautionary steps? What's next? Airports start to test like you got it. Stay back, and if you're negative, you can pass. Little did they know the virus was invisible. Then a day later, Washington had his first, oh no, time to shut down the globe. China under quarantine and we still at the beach Travel not permitted unless you stay home for two weeks Things are getting worse, especially for Italy The Democrats are politicizing the coronavirus They tried the impeachment hoax that was on a perfect conversation, and this is their new hoax. It was March 6th when we felt it. The little virus turned to a pandemic. Then they brought it to the bay on a cruise ship. 21 people tested positive. Out of 46 people, this little virus is causative. This a national emergency, can't you see? Cut the traveling, but no. America waited to take this seriously and kept it on the low, huh? Actually, that was China. Misreported numbers, but we didn't find out till later. All because they ate about the world had to suffer That's when California went into a stay-at-home order People lost jobs unless it was essential Hospitals overcrowded, schools dropped attendance Could you imagine school for 18 years For an online graduation? That just ain't fair The government started printing more money Supply and demand Cares Act made them look good But damn, they gave 1200 per individual Thinking I could get us by They must be high Smoking on the same stuff that they plan on us Why? I'm black and I'm proud you hold us down But I won't drown, I can't breathe But I'll find out how, I won't stop till they hear me now Ain't that funny, you open cities across the country I smell money, I empathize for single parent families Thank God for my honey, I feel more at peace First pandemic, I didn't know what I should think To unleash the full power of the federal government in this effort today I am officially declaring a national emergency Two very big words there's a very contagious, um, there's a very contagious virus. It's uh, incredible, but it's something that we have uh, tremendous control over. It's if you're talking about the virus, no, that's not under control for any place in the world. I think I read, I think I read, no, I didn't. I was talking about what we're doing is under control, but I'm not talking about the virus. And I've always known this is a, this is a real. This is a pandemic. I felt it was a pandemic long before it was called a pandemic. All you had to do is look at other countries. No, I've always viewed it as very serious. There was no difference yesterday from days before.